Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hi, and welcome to uh, this week's episode of Founders in Asia. I'm your host, Jody Collins. This week, I'm really excited to have Scott Montgomery on the podcast. Uh, he is the CEO and co-founder of WellTech, uh, which is an enterprise SaaS corporate health offering. Uh, welcome, Scott. Great to have you here. Thanks, Jody. Really excited to uh, to go through this podcast with you and, and Founders in Asia. Thanks for having me. Great, great. So, uh, Scott, what we normally do is whenever I interview anyone, I, I start with just wanting to explore a bit of your backstory and find out um, uh, how you ended up in Asia. And so if you can just tell us a little bit about where you're based now and then tell us about your backstory, where you're from uh, and, yeah, your journey towards uh, Singapore. Sure thing. I'll leave all the skeletons in the closet still. Um, no, please so, don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, I'm now in Singapore and have been here for the last just over four years. Um, and as you as you introed, I'm, I'm here with a business called WellTech, um, which I co-founded back in Perth in 2013. Um, so WellTech is an enterprise SaaS company offering corporate health programs um, for employees uh, to help improve sort of physical activity, mental health, financial wellness, culture and engagement. Um, and then we use a big analytics engine at the back um, to, in a de-identified manner, try and identify risk hotspots from both the, the physical and the non-physical um, areas within an organisation. So um, that's really what the, the WellTech business is. Um, how I got here takes me... Um, back from a little town in New Zealand, um, so had a, um, an education through there um, in exercise physiology down at Otago University. Right. Uh, worked yep. with some some um, professional athletes and was fortunate enough to uh, work with Tana Umanga, for those of the, the rugby supporters, and Piri Wipu, so some of the, um, yes. the All Blacks team back in the early 2000s, and um, right. some pre- and post-surgery patients in a, in a very physical, therapeutic uh, role. In a, in a clinical setting. Right, right. Oh, so you actually qualified as a, uh, what, as a physical therapist or a phys- yeah, physiotherapist? Yeah, yeah. Right. Exercise physiology was the degree right. down in Otago. Yeah, yeah. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. Okay, great, great. And then, so uh, what happened after that? Where did you go next? Uh, from there, worked in insurance for a year um, to work just to understand from a multidisciplinary level um, how the, the big wide world works with employers and lawyers and uh, more of the medical side as well. Um, and then got a small taste of that and jumped the ditch over to West Australia in the, in the mid-2000s um, and went there chasing sort of, you know, the big opportunity partly, but also some sun, some sand and some surf, if I'm truthful. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Part of the overseas experience, yeah. Oh, look at that. That was supposedly the stepping stone to the um, the UK, as was so common and probably still is with with um, with post post undergrad. Um, but got stuck there in, a, in an early stage business, um, and you know ended up growing that pretty successfully. So uh, stayed in Perth for the best part of seven or eight years. Right, right. And so that business, that was that WellTech or uh, no, no, it's a separate no, business? Yeah. No, that was a, it was another company that um, I got involved with very early on um, and then ended up becoming an equity partner in the business. Um, and that company was, again, within enterprise health, but it was a physical business. So we, we built that to be um, circa 100 um, staff across the country, Australia and, um, and one or two in New Zealand. And we would run injury prevention programs and weight loss challenges 
teachers primarily um, around the country. So we'd physically send stuff into and, and go in myself into um, underground mines, into law oh, offices, right. police stations, and and work face to face with with employees. So um, you know that was the uh, the one hundred and one of of employee engagement. You know, there's the mm. stereotypical miner that's not that interested in learning about warm up exercises or, or weight loss programs at five a.m. pre shift. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was really where we cut the teeth. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Oh well, I guess if you can make it successful doing that, uh, then you can uh, have success anywhere, really. <laughs> well, and 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 that was it. At the we sold that business in two thousand and twelve, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, at the the wisdom of at the bottom, wisdom held at the bottom of a glass of wine. We thought, let's do it again, but let's choose a, a bigger scale. Uh, sorry, a bigger stage, and we, we'll use some technology to scale it. So that was really where the WellTech sort of um, germination phase began. Right, right. And then did is that then when you made the move to Asia? Was that a conscious decision? Um, yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. So we um, we built a proof of concept technology piece, mm-hmm. um, and we had some some consultants offshore to help us do that. And we put that into a um, a company and just tested it to see if it was going to fly. And uh, the, the the feedback was that the concept was great, um, but your tech needed a fair bit of work. Right, right. So <laughs> okay. um, we we thought right, let's if we're going to really do this and put some significant investment to it, um, we're going to get. Um, some of the region's best developers behind it. And that was one of the main catalysts to move to Singapore. Right, right. Oh, because you were looking for development uh, a development team here in Singapore, were you? Uh, just the best from around the region. Right, so, right. you know, mine and my co-founder's background is, is not technology. It's, yep. it's health and, and business, really. And so we were seeking to essentially outsource or, or insource that CTO function to start to create that uh, that technology capability across the business. Um, so we looked at, um, you know, Sydney, Melbourne, obviously, um, Singapore, Hong Kong, Philippines, India, yep. and yep. Um, through a, a, actually a, a university connection landed at Singapore's, which was then their largest software development firm. Um, and the rest is history. Right, right. Okay. And when was that? That was uh, 2014 by the time that move happened. Right, right. Okay, so then WellTech has been up and running for four years now? Yeah, yeah. We yeah. Uh, we we took the concept that we had proven out um, and, you know, uh, looking back on it, it's, it's obviously completely evolved and changed since then for the better. Um, but we had that re-architected, redesigned, rebuilt, um, and then we had all of that technology development mm. uh, mentored back to a team that we then we built in-house and, and have since sort of handed over the, the, the custodianship to uh, to our internal dev team. Right, right. And okay, so then that's interesting. So do you, is most of your team based in Singapore then or you do The majority have, are. Yeah, yep. right. Yep. yep. We've got um, the, the headquarters of the company is here um, and this is where all of our clients across now the world are, are serviced from. Um, so majority Asia, right. Asia first approach, but yep. we, we yep. have clients out through EMEA and now the US um, and, and Singapore is the really the heart and the brains of the operation at the moment. Right. Okay, cool. And then so I'm interested in that idea you mentioned that, uh, you know, after the first business then you were looking at, okay, how do we scale it up? How do we, how do we make this bigger? And it sounded like that was from a technology perspective, reviewing the tech, reviewing the offering, but was it also a conscious decision to move into 
a market like Singapore, we can base yourself to reach a larger audience across the region? Was that a, Look, a key part of it? Absolutely, yeah, of course. So um, we, we recognise that to, to really go into a, a, a bigger sphere, we needed technology to do that. But um, also being in Perth at, the, at that time and, and to a degree still now, your proximity to multinational headquartered offices is, is pretty slim. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're yeah. not mining, you're not really a lot, especially back then. Um, so the attraction of Singapore was it was between there and Hong Kong, one of the epicenters of, of the, the Asian business sector. Yeah. And so coming up here gives you that, that closeness to some of those big decision makers. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that, you know, you just mentioned Singapore and Hong Kong, and that's so often the conversation that I have with a lot of business founders. You know, the, the decision-making process is, okay, I'm looking at Asia, it's, it's either Singapore or Hong Kong. Those are the two places in which we should be looking to set up. And, I mean, you know, from... Certainly from my experience of setting up a business in Singapore, it's, it's you know, incredibly easy, straightforward process and I've heard mm. the same thing about Hong Kong as well. It's probably then just more from speaking to different founders, it's more about, okay, well, where's your focus? Is it is it that you want to have a base to get into China and so therefore Hong Kong is a, a good decision or Singapore for the region? And look, probably to echo that, we were fairly similar of that mindset. Um, we still had a, um, a very strong sort of reputation and network back in Australia. So we, mm. we didn't leave that behind us. Yeah. Um, and then also I had some sort of some familial connections here through um, uh, my mother used to live here before I was born. And so there was a bit of sort of nostalgia ah, right. coming up here. So it did have a bit more appeal. Um, but, you know, really similar laws, time zone, um, and then the, the proximity and the closeness to, to Aussie as well um, was, was probably a tipping point. Yeah, right. So you still have an existing customer base in Australia then, do you? For sure. Yeah, yep. right, right. Yeah, it's interesting actually, you know, we were just talking briefly before that I was in New Zealand last week uh, for New Zealand Tech Week and, and and it was interesting because, you know, I, was, I met a lot of, uh, you know, really interesting technology business founders who are, uh, you know, looking to expand across the region and also talking to a number of government people and uh, people from New Zealand Trade and Enterprise and, and it, it was interesting, you know, they were talking about how it's so often... Uh, founders from New Zealand, in particular, they set up technology businesses, and when they're looking to expand, uh, they will look to Australia first, and then it's uh, the US and the UK. It's not so much Asia, mm. and we were talking about, you know, what are the reasons for that, and you know, we're saying, well, potentially there's a, you know, there's a language uh, issue, or you know, or a familiarity, so you sort of go to those markets where you think, okay, that's something that I'm comfortable with. Having that family connection or, you know, or at least, a, you know, some experience in your family having been up here, did that really make a difference then? Was that sort of a, a key part of that decision-making process to come here because it was something that you're already somewhat familiar with? No, I, pr I probably romanticised that a little bit. Right, um, right. It wasn't a, a big part of it. It was just um, a, a bit more comfort was derived in that. I mean, ultimately, it would have been the first time I was living in Asia and, and that might have been part of the self-convincing process that I went through. Yeah, right, yeah. But we looked at the, the reason for Asia rather than a, a UK or a US um, was uh, certainly proximity to the um, the big populations. I mean, you, you've got a, a, a huge corner of the earth here, um, but we were still close enough to feel that we could leverage our existing network. So, mm, you know, mm. it was very much a, an, an Asian focus first. Um, and then the second part, uh, part to that was that um, we're starting to see a lot of the um, Southeast Asia region or and, and even some of the emerging market region invest into 
our industry corporate health. Um, so, you know, historically it hasn't really been an area of, of big com- company expenditure, but with rising diabetes rates and stress depression mm. rates, then companies are starting to take note and invest a little bit more into their staff. So that was that was a big part of it as well. Yeah, right. And that's really interesting because uh, that's it's actually a little bit surprising to me to hear that. Uh, and so I'd love to explore that a bit more. Is it the... Uh, large global or regional offices who are your key clients and that's where the opportunity is for you or are you finding that there are also a number of uh, local businesses that are really starting to uh, to look towards you know developing corporate health offerings for their teams bit of both the, look, the lowest hanging fruit for us is um, is certainly the multinational the western headquarter multinational companies because they've got a history of, of spend here they've probably mm. even got existing budget um, and if you're seeking global or, or regional head office approval it's it's far easier to get that from someone who's already uh, had experience or expenditure within our domain rather than trying to justify a new budget so the the western multinationals are, are, are certainly a focus um, we are starting to see more companies um, who have been growing locally, established and grown locally to look mm. into here. And, and there was actually an article put out I saw yesterday from um, HRM magazine that over 70% of Singaporean workers were looking for their employer to provide some stress management help. Right. Interesting. That's really so interesting. I think that sort of groundswell of, of look, Mr. Real, Mrs. Employer, I, I need a little bit of assistance or I want a bit of assistance. And in the day and age of personal technology, then that's now far more abundant and therefore available. So um, hopefully that's another sort of dose of fuel on the flame of, of our sector. Yeah, right, right. And then what about other markets across Asia? Where are the greatest opportunities that you're seeing? And actually, where are you already operating and where is the opportunity coming from? So we still do a lot of business in Australia. We've got a, um, a very strong partnership model and we've got some really powerful brands that we've managed to to work quite closely with over the years. Um, so Garmin selected us as their corporate health partner for the region of Asia-Pac. Um, Telstra is, an, is another reselling company of ours. So mm-hmm. going into you know their existing black book, if you will, and have them recommend and resell us into some of their core clients is, is obviously very powerful, um, let alone the, the significant ramp up and direct sales force. So um, mm. Asia, uh, sorry, mm-hmm. Australia is still very strong for us. Um, a little bit in the Philippines, we're seeing, seeing a little bit more interest in um, Philippines and, and India. Um, less so China for us at this stage. Um, but, you know, all things going well, I hope that we can we can certainly open that, nu- that market up soon. Right, right, yeah. Okay, and then so that's interesting. You were just talking about the number of Singaporean workers who are looking towards or looking to their companies to provide some type of health or wellness solution for them. Uh, how much of this is directly related to rising stress levels and the, uh, you know, the amount of work that people in the region are doing and where are you sort of seeing the main pressure points across the region? Uh, look, stress is definitely a big one. Um, the 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 more typical spenders in our space, being the UK, the US, and and Australia, are probably leading the space. Canada as well. Um, and actually, one of the ladies on our doctors on our expert panel was from Canada, and she spearheaded the the what is now a, a national standard of workplace psychological well-being. So, you know, some of the countries are very forward-thinking to the point of of legislating towards um, employee benefits and support around the space. Uh, but you know, I think the culture in Asia is that you stay at your desk longer than your boss, and yes. you know, yes. that is. Um, 
in in this you know very digital age now where people are looking for you know apps and exposure and 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 online support and training is is starting to open up the appetite both of the individual and and also the company to start to provide it yeah do you see that changing at all that that uh, culture of needing to stay at work longer than your boss uh, look I do um, but and, and this is this is one man's opinion but I think that as the you know that the younger generations come through which are a bit more instant and in, in their their gratification seeking um, you know very bold and some of their goal setting and ambitions is that uh, they want to be their own boss and and I think that that sort of that self-empowerment or that efficacy to control their their own destiny is, is going to start to eat away at that culture but you know it's going to take a time because it's it's generational that's that's um, that's it's been here for a long, long time. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely what I found. You know, I was quite shocked when I first moved to China, and actually, it, it was the first Friday working in an office, which really shocked me because you know, working in media in Sydney, uh, no one really worked past lunchtime on a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that, Jody? <laughs> because everyone was at the pub doing yeah. <laughs> doing their deals down there. <laughs> But, uh, you know, and it was good fun. And so the, the fact that the first Friday night of working in an advertising agency in China, I actually had to work, you know, past 7 p.m. was just frankly shocking to me. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Literally shocking. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, to be honest, one of the things that I really work hard on with my team is, you know, I, I very much instill a... Uh, you know, a healthy work environment where it's, you know, you're in at nine, but you're out at six and I will not call you on the weekend unless it's absolutely life critical, you know. Mm. So, but uh, that's not common across most businesses that I see up here, particularly in, in media and marketing, which is my background. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. no, I can I can imagine that we we've worked tr- quite tried to work very hard on um, we're not clock watchers we you know we don't we don't record when you come in and when you leave we if you want to go to the gym during the day then that's completely over to you at the end of the day we're more outcome driven I think a lot of startup and, and early stage and growth companies are in that that vein yeah uh, and then j- during this process I've also um, being fortunate enough to start a family so um, mm. it's very easy when you're you know by yourself or you're single or you're in a, in a um, relationship without kids to to burn the candle at both ends and as soon as you got you know a few little eyes at home waiting for you to get there it's another incentive to get home so yeah yeah hopefully Certainly. as a as a sort of a, um, you know the yep. one of the, the leaders in the company that people can see that and that example and take lead on it as well yeah yeah okay so normally when uh, when I'm interviewing uh, different people on this podcast you know we talk about how did you get started with this business but it's interesting with you you actually almost you had an existing business in Australia and then you've taken that idea and and developed it out further how did you when you when you came to Singapore maybe if you can just talk us through the process of you know how you set up here did you bring people with you from Australia? Did you find all of your team locally? You know, you talked a little bit about that before, just so that we can give people an understanding of, you know, some of the process and, uh, you know, what are the things you need to look out for or think about as you're setting up a team in Asia? Yeah. um, Look, one, certainly, a co-founder and um, previous colleague in the last company um, has has been, um, you know, almost here since day one and has, has come up to Singapore from Aussie. Um, and then the rest of the team has been built locally and, and regionally. So um, I think by, 
you know, keeping a lot of relationships, both from you know not only my my previous business, but but working lifetimes before that, is um, keeping that network strong has really helped us to be connected to people who might be looking for a new opportunity at the time that we're seeking for a, to fill a role. So, um, we've we've now got staff mainly in Singapore, but um, but Sydney, Melbourne, Perth. Um, Vietnam as well and a lot of those have come oh, through okay. Netflix rather than advertising. Right and what's the team in Vietnam doing? Uh, right. Largely development. Right, yeah. Um, so yep. so we've got our lead developer here um, directing um, the, 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 the bigger development team out in Vietnam um, and then we've got analytics um, headed up for, by our chief data officer in Melbourne and um, partnerships out of Sydney, partnerships and, and direct sales out of Sydney. Right, right. So it really is a, an international business or an international team that you're running. How yeah, do we you, do a few emails. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, well, I was going to say, how do you keep all of that running then smoothly? Oh, look, I think, you know, um, SaaS technology is, is really, it's the enabler there. I think you, you dial back 15 or 20 years and it probably wasn't that possible. Mm. Um, and, and even, you know, before we exited the last company, we, we, probably had email across everyone in the whole company, but that was it. Uh, whereas now you've got things like Slack and you know, yep. WhatsApp and GitHub and, and all, all of the tech that keeps everyone together and, and connected um, is, is really, if you use it well, I think that it can be give you that sort of team culture and feeling um, and, and openness of communication, which obviously you need. Right, for sure. And so just mentioning then some of those tools, those productivity tools you're using. So what you're using, Slack, for management of projects across the region? Is uh, internal comms, largely, internal comms, yeah. um, and, and a li- not so much project management. Trello is one that we use for oh, that. Oh, okay, yep. Yeah, um, and that's the beautiful thing about that is it's it's divisional, um, division agnostic. So um, you know, marketing, sales, um, analytics, development, partnerships. It's all it's all. I think Trello is a brilliant tool for that. Um, and then into the um, into the development world, get helps is a, is a right. Um, yeah, is the core there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, I think it's always useful for others to hear about the different tools that people are using. Uh, yeah, Slack is something that we use in our business. Trello, I, I don't have as much experience with, but uh, some of my clients use it, and they swear by it actually. Yeah. You've got to walk the tech talk sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the old the notepad has its has its day, but when yeah. you talk technology, you got to pony up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And so, okay, so you've set up the business in Singapore. It's been running for four years. Uh, you've got people working across different markets. Then as you look to expand, how do you find where the opportunities are? Do you spend time in market? How are you doing your research? How are you finding where the opportunities are for you? Yeah, I mean, there's you're continuously looking for opportunities and I think that um, you know a lot of people, and I'm certainly wired that way, is um, is trying to look for um, an opportunity. Probably sometimes guilty of where there, there um, isn't one there. Um, and you know, a good example of that is uh, 2015. Um, a lot of our, all of our content was geared towards physical activity and and sleep and high level nutrition assistance. Right. Um, and then in 2015, I had five people across my. Um, extended network, you know, direct friends of mine, my wife and mine, mm-hmm. um, in their 30s, professionally relatively successful, uh, full range of them, and they chose suicide, um, which was a, a fairly um, confronting sort of series of, of experiences to go through. And it was at that point yeah. that, um, that I that sat down with my team and, and we came up with the idea of utilising wearables and gamifying mental health um, 
education and an employee wellness program. And and from what I've heard, we, there, there hasn't been anyone else to do that before us. Um, so we were the first company globally to do that. I've spoke, managed to speak in the US and the and the UK about it. Um, and that was a, a just a great example of um, of life and looking at how do we use our skill set to benefit other people um, in a different way. And I think that's probably a really good example of a, a pivot into far more holistic content, yeah. um, which are in the gateway inevitably into financial wellness. Uh, we're looking at nutritional psychiatry now, which, believe it or not, is a thing. Um, nutritional and, psychiatry, what, yeah. what is that? Well, your, your, your brain and your gut are so closely related. Um, right. And the, the science is supporting now that different types of foods have different effects on your moods and um, and mental resilience and state of mind. So um, by choosing certain food combinations, you can you know, very quickly and quite significantly impact the way that you feel. Um, and that has, has big ramifications on stress, anxiety and, and depression disorders. Right. And what's an example of that, for instance? And is it down to the individual? Is it Does it impact different people in different ways? Um, yes, it certainly does, um, and I won't get too deep into the science here. This is this is where our expert panel comes in. Right. Um, so yep. we'll we'll come up with a, a concept, we'll look into it, and then we'll try and find the best in the world um, to to partner up there. And so that's led us to partnerships with Deakin University out of Victoria, um, Curtin University, WA, um, and then the expert panel across the US and um, Canada. So it's at that point where we'll put a concept to uh, to the team, and they'll they'll script the the content for our programs, and then we'll put some some gamification and some look and feel and and some fun communications around uh, what is otherwise quite a serious and sometimes quite dry topic. Right, right, yeah, really interesting, really interesting. I was just wondering about the the combinations of foods. Are they are they, for instance, is it you know high protein diets are, are better for I don't know for uh, clearer thinking. Clearly, something that I need right now. <laughs> <laughs> look, at, look at, it's it's all of that. And the challenge that we have is is um, I think is as health scientists across the board is that we try and look for the reductionist approach. You know, the right. combination of B vitamins yep. or the C with the D. You know, yep. um, and there's no need for it. So to try and chunk it up into macro, very useful digestible formats for the users. Look, protein's certainly part of it. Acid alkaline is certainly part of it. Hydration's a big part of it. Um, you know, utilising caffeine or not utilising caffeine um, and then um, pigeoning that or, or dovetailing that with your environment as well. So lighting and, um, and you know, work stress or home stress. So there, there's actually a lot that goes into it, um, but right. the little yep. gold nuggets yep. that come out can be largely nutrition related. Yeah, right. Really interesting. Okay. Okay, great. And so I just want to talk about then, so the business has been around for four years uh, and you're scaling it. Uh, how are you? Uh, how are you growing your your business? So you know, where are you finding your customers? What's the main way in which you go to market? Yep. Um, so we've got a, a, a partnership model which has been pretty successful for us, and you know, it's something that we've worked really well, pretty well at over the years is that we'll we'll come in with a strategic partner and we'll work closely with that strategic partner to build. Um, a, a value that is very difficult or impossible to seek anywhere else. Um, and so that was what brought us to Garmin. Um, and we're, we're working very closely with them in the way that we access um, different types and granularity levels of wearable data. Um, and, and very specifically at the moment, we're building out um, some, some intelligence around fatigue and stress and how the, the Garmin wearables at the moment are, are probably leading the way in the data that we get. Um, and... 
Yeah, so so I suppose who's driving that is that we try and surround ourselves with smarter people with each hire. Um, and right. everyone coming into the team comes in with rather than a, a, a mini-me approach to recruitment is very much a let's broaden that out and let's bring in a skill set that we don't currently have. And I think that's where we're getting a lot of our diversity of thought from. Right, interesting. Okay, and then so when when you are going into market and you're connecting with the, the end user, which may be through a business relationship, but the, ultimately the end user of your product and mm-hmm. you know, whoever's consuming the information, do you find that different levels of science and uh, data-backed research are required for different markets? Are there different appetites for it, for instance, across different markets in Asia? Yeah, oh, look, I think it's the way that it's delivered. Um, so the localization of content is probably more important than the evidence that's backing it up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that the, the level of information that we're packaging for people is not necessarily going to get us a Nobel Peace Prize. Right. It's around reprioritizing basics, micro habits every day that if you do consistently over a period of time, you're going to reduce your risk of the onset of diabetes or coronary heart disease or um, become more resilient to, um, you know, stresses and and depressions and and sleep disorders. So it's pretty Mm -hmm. basic foundation stuff. Right. Uh, But the the way that we deliver that must be different. For example, if you go into Australia or New Zealand and you say, look, a, a pretty balanced diet is a meat and three veg or you know red meat three times a week um, eight glasses of water yep um yeah that that sort of uh, messaging alcohol free day three days a week um that that's pretty widely understood now if you take that same message into a country like india Mm -hmm. uh, you've got different religious parameters um, Mm -hmm. and different sort of socioeconomic capabilities then that doesn't fly you know you've got largely a uh, an alcohol-free population, largely vegetarian population. Um, so you've, you've got to localise that that messaging country to country. And how do you do that? Do you have local connections on the ground that you work with or how do you look to localise it? Yeah, we do. Um, Gamification is a big big part of it. Um, and then personalising some of that messaging through um, machine learning uh, message delivery is, is how we're doing it. Right. So depending on the country that you're in or the time zone that you're in um, and then actually your behaviours that you're demonstrating, then you'll get a different messaging set or coaching prompt from, from our um, from our app. So it's it's geo split, it's risk split across, you know, BMI or job unit or um, gender, demographic, age group. Um, these sorts of, of filters are applied to to give more of a unique experience to the individual. Right. Okay. So it's even the 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 localization isn't even necessarily from a local market perspective. It's all the way down to the individual. And so you mentioned then using machine learning to what? So it's you're taking in input from an individual and what information they're consuming, and then you're tailoring the experience to them, aren't you? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's our journey or our quest for precision wellness, um, whereby you're essentially getting a health concierge as an individual. And um, I think that and one of the beliefs that I have is that um, if you ask any adult anywhere in the world, the question of what's one thing that you can do to improve your health, mm. and everyone will give you a right answer, you know, whether that be sleep yeah. more, drink more water, drink less booze, eat more um, protein or eat less sugar or fat. Some it, people inherently know the basics of what they should be doing. So it's not necessarily a question of information. It's, it's prioritization. And through group challenges and through, you know, reminding and prompts and, and incentivization, we use um, these sort of tools and techniques to help um, people to bring some consciousness to those those daily habits. So do you really need that third Tim Tam or is that fourth beer today really <laughs> that necessary? Um, and, and that's our challenge. That's our quest. 
Yeah, right, right. And then, of course, then the next the next challenge would be in actually getting people to do some of the things that they're they're saying that they may commit to. I guess. <laughs> yeah, you know, we we get very brave at the start of any <laughs> any program, um, and you know, when rubber meets the road, that can, that can be the difficult part. But there's also um, as much as that we're individualized and and you know we we can sometimes be very hard to predict. Um, we're also a population that's pretty predictable. Um, you know, that if we can put together a series of periodized recognition or, you know, um, improvement in self-efficacy and, and you can demonstrate some achievement back to your close peers, then these are all fuels for adherence to to that plan. Mm. And so this is where organizational and health psychology come into it. And this, this is the, more of the boring, the, the evidence-based side of what we're doing. Right, right. Interesting. And so are you working with any governments across the region? Well, funnily enough, I um, have just opened up a conversation with Lithuania. Um, oh, right. right. Okay. <laughs> the Minister of Health um, around what we're doing with um, foundation mental health hygiene through the use of technology. So, um, you know, you dial back 10 years and to, to get access to any sort of information on mental health, um, you know, support, it was it was pretty expensive to bring in a psychiatrist or a psychologist into your, your place of work. Um, now through technology, we've got the ability to, to crystallise a lot of those learnings and, you know, put them in layman's terms and then make them available to, you know, literally tens and hundreds of millions of people very affordably. Um, and the concept that had that same concept attracted one of our now company directors, which is the ex-chair of the World Health Organization, um, Dr. Shaquille Mariam, mm -hmm. and she's um, working with the Lithuanian government and they're very interested in us and, and how we're approaching um, this in the workplace for them to apply to their quite serious suicide. Um, really? Right. So not right. to say that we're a solution or, or, or um, we're going to come in and radically change that in any short time frame, but, you know, by connecting and, and bringing community together and providing some self-empowerment and some support, then we might be able to build some resilience across society, which um, might give the opportunity of earlier intervention to some of those, you know, high need cases. Right, right. So that's interesting. You know, you mentioned about the uh, different, um, well, first of all, the the, one of the reasons for you getting into the space around mental health uh, because of some suicide uh, uh, with, with some of the people that you know, some of your friends, mm. and then that's interesting what you were just saying about Lithuania really taking an active approach in this as well. What about across Asia? Are you seeing a uh, – what are you seeing in this space? Are you seeing uh, increasing rates of suicide? Uh, what about the, um, you know, it, any stigma associated with – mental health are, are you seeing things change are things getting worse or better oh look i think that the the openness to talk about this topic and the fact that we're even discussing it now is a sign that um, society's accepting it it is something that's not so much taboo anymore mm. um, you know we've got some brilliant ambassadors around the world from the royal family to you know music stars and elite athletes who are opening up this conversation just to first of all build awareness and the fact that it's okay to say that I'm not okay. Mm. Uh, Beyond mm. Blue, Movember, Are You Okay, Black Dog Institute, these are all fantastic institutes that um, are building this awareness and these these messaging campaigns so that people, they, they can ask themselves the question. They might not speak to anybody else, but they might seek out a conversation with um, – with a, a hotline or they might start looking on Google and at that point it's, it's at least the first step towards seeking out some sort of assistance. 
Mm. Um, so absolutely, I think um, across the world, people are starting to accept that this is a um, it's a it's a genuine area of need, um, and the World Health Organization has come out with um, it, depression as being their their mandated focus for 2018. Mm. Um, so mm. uh, most certainly in the awareness piece, um, we'll, we've got a bit of work to do on the treatment part. Um, I think it's still relatively misunderstood compared to a lot of the more traditional musculoskeletal injuries or mm. you know, acute um, big cuts or breaks to, to the human body. Yep. Um, but we're but we're getting there. It's headway. It's not going to be solved over night but we're, we're on the right track yeah really interesting and commendable that you know you're operating in a space where uh well it must be quite rewarding to feel like you're actually helping people through what you do as well which is you know one of the things that i talk about with a lot of different founders that i'm interviewing you know i guess particularly as you're going through tough times in your own business and facing challenges the importance of actually feeling really passionate about what you're doing uh, and, you know, sometimes when that passion does disappear a bit because, frankly, you're just having a bit of a hard week uh, or some things aren't quite going your way, you know, really knowing that you're getting up in the morning to work on something worthwhile, uh, you know, is kind of what keeps you going, I guess. Most certainly. And, you know, coming from a, a health background myself, I think that's something that if I look across our entire team is that there's a genuine will to make a difference here um, and you know you can get to the end of the day as a stock trader or um, you know as a real estate agent or something and, and it, it's it's very binary what you've done um, but sometimes some of our testimonials come through they literally floor you and you know you connect with people in a way that is so intimate that you don't expect and it's that sort of reward that you, you don't necessarily go that out there as it were the primary objective of that, but it's certainly a collateral benefit and one that's it's a real feel-good factor. Mm, yep, yep. Great. And so I just want to ask a little bit more about then as you've built the business, you know, what are some of the challenges that you've then faced, uh, whether it's as you've been building out your technology, some of the issues that you may have come across there or as you've built the team Maybe if you can talk through through some of the challenges you've faced. How long have we got, Jody? (laughs) (laughs) I just I like to share with with listeners, you know, some of the things that they might be able to learn from, so they can steer clear of different things. And you know, if you have any advice, that would be helpful. Oh, look, probably no. Um, some, some experiences that we've got is um, they're all pretty traditional, I would say, is, you know, getting talent is is not easy. Um, and especially when you're, you know, you're, you're operating in a red alert or an urgent environment and you need someone now um, and you need that skill set now, um, you can settle. Um, and, you know, looking back, that's probably something that we have done and, and I regret. Um, so, so talent is is an ongoing so blessing or a curse. Hiring someone who was seventy percent the right fit. Yep. 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 Mm. And and it might solve your immediate issue um, for a particular client or opportunity or, or particular stone in your shoe, but moving forward, they they probably create more or um, or they don't contribute as a, as a wider team member. So that's something that you know very consciously we work at with each position is that is this the right fit for now and and for the long term, and then how do we harness that person so that mm. you know come you know the end of each period, call it six months, twelve months, or two years, um, then how are they better? Because ultimately the lifer employee is is a concept of yesteryear 
And if people can go out into market, have a great experience with you, learn a few things, enjoy what they've done, and then go on to the next role, that's a um, it's a great thing to be able to look back on yourself actually and say that I'm pretty proud of the team that we've built yeah. and then go. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, and the, the way that karma works, it's funny how those people can end up being your client or, you know, your consultant down the track. Can, so it's, it's, um, I completely it's, agree. I completely identify with that as well, actually. I just had my, my first team member just resigned last month because she's got a job at Accenture. So on one on the one hand, I was devastated because she was wonderful and, you know, we, we worked really well together for two and a half years. But at the same time, I'm so proud that yeah. she's gone on to, you know, this great new job. Yep. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, – and I think also, you know, I don't know if you've found this, but I, I potentially I sometimes get a little bit too emotionally involved. I actually feel like my team and my family, you know, I, I take so much responsibility for them. Uh, and I was just having a conversation with another business founder last week who said, oh, yeah, maybe you need to step back a little bit from that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel sometimes a, li- a little bit like I'm their mother, but, uh, you know, it's it's everything. I'm, uh, you know, I do feel a great sense of re- responsibility. Look, you're yeah. so invested in it as well, and, and I think that's a really good sign of um, of a common goal um, mm. and mm. The, if, if you're genuinely invested in, in creating something good that that is good, um, then you know of course you're going to bond, and that's yes. a, yep. that's the you get the highs, but you also get the lows when they do leave inevitably. Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and you know, I, I think certainly in your case that it's so so clear the benefit and the you know what it brings to the world and the vision. You know, it certainly would help to be able to rally the team behind that. Uh, you know, when I started my business, you know, it's, uh, you know, we're all about growing people, helping people grow and develop uh, with what mm. we do. And it, it does help. We definitely, you know, we go off track sometimes and it's like a North Star that I just try and bring it back to and remind us, okay, this is what we're doing. We're here to actually help other people grow. Yep. Uh, yep. And it just, you know, it helps us actually to cut some of the, some of the projects that we've taken on that we probably shouldn't have taken on because actually they were a little bit too left of field for the you know, where we wanted to head. I think that's probably one of the other big challenges is learning which are the opportunities to really spend some time with and, and invest in and which are the ones that you should say no to. Mm, um, mm. And, and every small stage company um, is guilty of, of chasing revenue to a large degree and you find that you zigzag through your, your development roadmap and your strategic roadmap rather than just getting that straight line yes. and being true to yourself. Um, but there's real world stresses as well and, you know, yeah. Having real sort of wisdom to go, yes, this is a deal that we're, or a partner that we're in for or an opportunity that we're in for or no, you know. So so that's, that's a, an ongoing lesson for us. And, and how, do you, how do you decide that? You know, what's your decision-making process? Um, look, try, try and um, soundboard the, the, the leadership team, certainly. Um, but the first port of call is, is, does this fit with our roadmap? We've got some very strong um, and defined operating models for the business for periods of time. Um, and that includes all structures, technology roadmap, um, and then markets that we're looking to enter and support. So if it's supporting um, us attaining those goals, then it's, it's probably a yes. Um, if it's, you know, wildly left of centre, uh, i.e. this... Um, this opportunity presented out of Lithuania, mm. uh, no, that could be a real gem that we could literally contribute to helping people, you know, save or, or improve a lot of lives. Um, that's a that's a, a test. You know, is it a, an opportunity of significance? And then what's the likelihood of that? Um, and if both of those are high, then it's it's something that we would deviate for. Right. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then just related to that then as well, is the business that you're doing now the same as what you set out to do four years ago or have you pivoted during that time? Um, look, I think that the, the common goal or that North Star is that you, you know, really like that term, the way you put that before is still the same. You know, we want to connect um, millions of people with health improvement via technology mm. and and to help our clients unlock the potential of their people and, and that's that's within our um, our vision now the actual tools that we're using to get there and and the shorter term and media term focus has certainly pivoted um, you know never in my wildest dreams would I have thought that when we set out that we'd be delivering a, a mental health program or a, or a financial wellness program um, yet mm. here we are so you know I think there's there's certainly some pivots and and some probably more we focus heavily on some areas of the business business than we initially thought that we wouldn't um, um, and, you know, the, the, the analytics capability that we've built over time is, is certainly something that has come faster than what I, I ever dreamed of. Mm. Um, and, you know, that, that's really pleasing to see. But um, the only surety with any business plan is that it's not going to be it's not going to be adhered to 100 yeah. percent. So, yeah. Um, yeah, look, certainly changed a lot. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay, great. So I just have one last question. Do you have any advice or thoughts that you'd like to share with others who might be thinking about looking to set up business in Asia? Um, look, I, I'm I'm usually the first at the gate and say go for it, do it, um, do a bit of homework. Um, it always takes twice as long and costs at least twice as much. Um, so if you can factor that in and you've got a good team around you and, and you're, you're genuinely right behind and, and viscerally believe in what you're doing, um, then absolutely go for it. Uh, look, Asia's a great place. It's um, it's, it's a, an epicentre of this part of the world at the moment. There's a lot of opportunity here. There's a lot of support available and you get out of it what you put into it. So I would say all guns blazing, go for it. Great, great. <laughs> Love it. I agree. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, Scott. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and, and uh, yeah, your, your offering sounds really interesting and, and, uh, and as I said before, you know, commendable that you guys are doing something that's actually really making a difference in the world. Thank you, Jodie. It's really nice to hear and, and thanks for the opportunity to speak to you and your audience. So um, for, for everyone, thanks for listening and all the best. Great. Thanks. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.